0: A Psalm of David. Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf, Lebanon and Syrian, like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare. And in his temple, everyone says, "'Glory.'" The Lord sat enthroned at the flood and the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. It says there that, uh, where is that? The voice of the Lord makes the deer give breath and strips the forest's bare. If you drive south yesterday, Hidako and I drove south to visit some friends that have just recently moved to Northport and... All the way down the road, trees split in half, oh, yeah. leaves completely blown off of trees so the whole side of it is bare, and that is nothing, that is nothing compared to what the Lord can do. Mm-hmm. You know, here we are on planet Earth, we've got this planet, and we look at the power around us, the the thunder and the lightning, and we think how majestic and how great is God, because we perceive something greater than what we would normally see, and we have a nuclear bomb where we, you know, take a, a little piece of uranium and we split its atom and we can produce these giant explosions. The earth, when it's sitting up against the sun, is like a little dot, if you've ever seen the comparison. And the sun, when it's sitting up against one of the giant red stars, doesn't even, you can't even, it's not even a pin dot against it. And that giant red star is putting out so much power every second. More power than's ever been exposed on the face of the earth in all of history in one second. And here we are sitting here thinking that we've got everything under control. God has it all under control. And the power that he expresses in the universe is directed towards you when you belong to Jesus Christ. Nothing can take you away from him. Nothing can separate you from him. He is a great God that we serve. We're in Joshua chapter 8, verses 21 through 29. All right, this is not finishing the chapter. Next week is going to be not a part three, but a completely different theme because of what is presented. It's only a few verses, but for right now, we're in Joshua 8, and verse 21 says, Now when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. Then the others came out of the city against them, so they were caught in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. And they struck them down so that they let none of them remain or escape. But the king of Ai they took alive and brought him to Joshua. And it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field... In the wilderness where they pursued them, and when they had all fallen by the edge of the sword until they were consumed, that all the Israelites returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. (laughs) So it was that all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the spear, until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city, Israel, took his booty for themselves, according to the word of the Lord, which he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, a desolation to this day. And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until evening. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they should take his corpse down from the tree, cast it at the entrance of the gate of the city, and raise over it a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Israel faced a foe and was beaten back by it. That was because of a transgression of the law by one person. This was at a time when nothing was said of Joshua going out with the troops. And so what is it that is the great foe of Israel? What is it that will bring them victory or defeat? This is what chapter 7 and chapter 8 of Joshua are revealing to us. I will be honest that in these first eight chapters of the book, there are probably a lot of pictures and types that I've gotten wrong. None of this would have been intentional, but there has been, as you have seen, a lot going on. For sure, the overall message is correct. I'm certain of that. And the overall typology is as well. We can be certain of that. When I first read this sermon, some weeks after I typed it, I was actually amazed at what is presented. As stupid as that may sound, I type these things, and I'm so tired at the end of the day when I finish that I often cannot remember what passage I typed, much less the detail in it. And I'm not kidding. Two hours after I type it, I can't even remember what chapter I was typing from. I was overjoyed at how things came out when I first came back to this sermon. What I will present today follows in the same vein. I honestly believe the picture is accurate, and by the time we're done today, I think you will agree with that. If I'm wrong in any of the smaller details, I apologize. I hope that is not the case, though. Our text verse comes from 2 Corinthians 5. It is verses 18 and 19. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. And he has committed to us the word of, of reconciliation apart from the devil who is obviously our adversary there is an enemy that has been working against man all along it is the law and it isn't that the law is bad rather it is good Paul says so in Romans 7 12 but when the first law was introduced man didn't have the knowledge to understand that that's explicit in Genesis 3 verse 5 since then it is man who has been corrupted And so, despite the law being good, it is we who are bad, and that in relation to the law. Thus, the law stands against us. It is contrary to us, as Paul says in Colossians 2.14. But the law has been given, and so something has to happen in order for us to be freed from its yoke. Enter Jesus. He is the one who can and who does make things right once again. This is the story that we are repeatedly seeing. God has presented it to us in so many ways over the past 10 years of sermons that it is incredible to imagine. Everybody that's listened to these sermons knows that God keeps bringing up the issue of the law again and again and again because he wants us to understand one five-letter word. What is that word? Grace. The Bible ends with grace because the law is an enemy to us. And yet much of the world that sees this precious book remains in bondage to the very law that Christ came to remove from us. Let us be wise and discerning and understand that when we work out the law in an attempt to be pleasing to God, we are actually doing exactly the opposite. I'll stop right there and I'll have you look at this cross behind me. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law and he died in fulfillment of the law on the cross. And by saying, I'm going to go back to law observance, You're not doing anything but saying, I can do better, oh God. I can improve on what you've done. Thanks for trying. Let us rest in Christ's accomplishment of all things. That is what God finds pleasing in us. It is a central message to be found in his superior word. And so let us turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. I've got a couple of thoughts for you today. The first is a heap forever. It's verses 21 through 29. Verse 21. Now when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city, and Joshua and all Israel see, according to, had taken the liars in wait the city. The words here follow after what was said in the last sermon. Then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the spear that is in your hand toward I, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand toward the city. So those in ambush arose quickly out of their place. They ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand, and they entered the city and took it, then hurried to set the city on fire. And when the men of I looked behind them, they saw, and behold, the smoke of the city ascended to heaven. So they had no power to flee this way or that way. And the people who had fled to the wilderness turned back on the pursuers. The fighting men of the cities of Bethel and Ai came out after Joshua. The Lord then directed Joshua to stretch out the spear in his hand. With that signal, the liars in wait captured Ai and set it on fire. Once that happened, the fighting men of Ai realized the trap that had been set and lost their will to continue or to even flee. With that complete... Joshua and the army of Israel saw it had been taken at the same time as those from I, because, verse 21 continues, and that the smoke of the city ascended. Viki Allah asham ha'ir. And according to ascended smoke the city. This was per the instructions of Joshua earlier. Joshua 8, 7 and 8. Then you shall rise from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. And it will be when you have taken the city that you shall set the city on fire, according to the commandment of the Lord, you shall do. See, I have commanded you. This is the purpose of the liars in wait. They had been prepared and waited for the opportune moment to strike. At Joshua's command, they readied themselves, and at Joshua's signal, they acted. With the armies of Ai and Bethel brought out, and with the army of Israel, seeing that they are hedged in... It next says, verse twenty-one continues. They turned back and struck down the men of Ai. Vayashuvu et and turned back and struck men the Ai. This is speaking of those who purposefully fled from the battle to draw the men of Ai out. That was Joshua eight fifteen and sixteen. And Joshua and all Israel made as if they were beaten before them and fled by the way of the wilderness. So all the people who were in Ai were called together to pursue them, and they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. It is these 5,000 that were used to draw the men out of Ai that have turned and have begun to strike the enemy. At the same time, verse 22, then the others came out of the city against them. The words of this verse come in a rapid sequence, expecting the hearer to pay attention as the various events are taking place. They show the precision of Israel's movements, even in the chaos of battle. That begins with Be'ele Yase'u min ha'ir likratam. And these went out from the city to against them. The description is short and brief. Instead of taking time to say, and the men who attacked the city and came out to join the attack, it simply calls them these. The hero would have to mentally say, okay, this is speaking of Israel. Next, the subject changes. Verse 22 continues. So they were caught in the midst of Israel. Vayiyu le Yisrael batavek, and were to Israel in the midst. It is speaking of the men of I. Those of Israel who were fleeing had turned back. Those of Israel in the city had come out, and I was caught smack dab in the middle. With that, the subject returns again to Israel. Verse 22 continues. Some on this side and some on that side. These from this, and these from this. It is speaking of Israel hemming in the men of Ai. There was nowhere for them to go because of the rushing onslaught of Israel. Verse 22 continues, and they struck them down so that they let none of them remain or escape. It is incorrect. The words now speak of Israel and the enemy in the singular. Vayaku otam ad bilti hishir lo upalit and struck them until none he left to him survivor and escapee. There is the enemy and there is Israel. Each is an entity and he Israel left to him I no survivor and escapee. The victory over the people of I is total. Here is a new word, palit. It signifies a fugitive or refugee or an escapee. It comes from palat to escape. In this case, there are none who did. The entire army of fighting men was destroyed. Verse 23, but the king of Ai, they took alive and brought him to Joshua. A more precise translation would be, and king the Ai, they captured alive and brought near him unto Joshua. This would then explain the singular of the previous verse. None he left to him. The sides faced off under Joshua and the king of Ai, and Joshua has prevailed. With that, the king of Ai is the only one of his people left alive at this point, and he is then brought before his vanquisher. Verse 24, and it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field. Unlike the brevity and action of verse 22, the words of verse 24 are meticulously detailed, beginning with... And it came to pass, according to finishing Israel, to slay all the inhabitants, the eye in the field. It tells us that the battle occurred in an open place where I was hemmed in from escaping. That is then further explained as, verse 24 continues, in the wilderness where they pursued them. In the wilderness, which pursued them in him. The him is referring to the wilderness. It seems the purpose of adding this is to indicate that they had been drawn quite a distance from I. They would have been tired from the running, caught in the open and far from I, and they could not easily have made it back there to rescue anyone. Instead, they were all destroyed. As it next says, verse 24 continues, and when they had all fallen by the edge of the sword until they were consumed, and fallen all them, mouth sword until finished it is a further explanation of the state of the warriors of I. they were to the last one finished off it should be noted that the charev or sword you've heard this before i want to re-explain it comes from harav meaning to be dry or dried up it is identical to the name of mount horeb or mount sinai where the law of moses was received and which comes from the same root word, harav. Verse 24 continues, that all the Israelites returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. Vayashuvu kal Yisrael ha'ai vayaku otah lepi charev and returned all Israel the Ai and struck her to mouth sword. The warriors of Israel, fighting on behalf of their tribes, are said to all have returned from the battle to Ai. With that, the city is completely emptied of life as the sword consumed all. Verse 25, so it was that all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000. And it was all the fallers in the day, the it, from men and even to women, to 10,000. This is the entire number of all in the city. The number, as it is recorded, asks us to consider its meaning. 12,000 would be a multiple of 120, which is 3 times 40, and 100, 10 times 10. Bullinger provides the meaning of 120, saying it is made up of three forties. applied to time. Therefore, it signifies a divinely appointed period of probation. Of the number 10, he says, 10 is one of the perfect numbers and signifies the perfection of divine order, commencing, as it does, an altogether new series of numbers. Completeness of order, marking the entire round of anything, is, therefore, the ever-present signification of the number 10. It implies that nothing is wanting, that the number and order are perfect, that the whole cycle is complete. A time of divinely appointed period of probation, a part of a cycle that is now complete, is what we can derive from the number provided in regard to the fall of Ai. It is inclusive of, verse 25 continues, all the people of Ai. Koanshe ha ha'ai, all men the Ai. The masculine reveals that as the men died, so their families, male and female, are reckoned under them. As it next says, verse 26, for Joshua did not draw back his hand, with which he stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed All the inhabitants of I. The action of each verb is singular. He and Joshua no did draw back his hand, which he stretched in the javelin until which he had anathematized all inhabitants, the I. The entire battle is ultimately credited to Joshua in typology. Then Israel in the battle is being used as a type of Jesus in accomplishing the deeds which are being credited to Jesus. In other words, everything is picturing him and what he has done. Verse 27 only the livestock and the spoil of that city, Israel took as booty for themselves. This is what was allowed concerning the cities of Canaan, unless there was a specific command or reason for not doing so. Every human was to be destroyed, but the spoil could be taken. Jericho was an exception, as everything from it was to be wholly devoted to the Lord. The Lord determined the extent of the destruction and Israel was to comply. For example, an exception concerning Amalek is found in 1 Samuel. Here's what it says. Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people over Israel. Now therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have, and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. And he didn't do it, and it cost him the kingship. For I, the spoil, could be taken. Verse 27 continues, according to the word of the Lord, which he had commanded Joshua. This word was specifically given at the beginning of the chapter, Joshua 8, 1 and 2. Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise. Go up to see I. See, I have given into your hand the king of I, his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to I and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. The Lord allowed Joshua to keep and divide the spoil among the warriors of the battle. And this now confirms that took place. Once the spoil was taken, it next says, verse 28, So Joshua burned I and made it a heap forever, a desolation to this day. The name I is certainly derived from the battle and destruction, maybe even from this verse right here. Yehoshua <laughs> tel, Olam Shamama ad Hayom haze, and burned Joshua the eye, and set her heap forever desolation to the day. The this Britannica says of the location, biblical references agree in locating I Hebrew Ha I the ruin just east of Bethel, modern Beitin in the West Bank. This would make it identical <coughs> with the large early Bronze Age site now called Apthal. It is Ha'ai, the ruins, and it is simply a ruins, the Tel. There are many tells in Israel. Some of them have other names assigned to them, such as Tel Aviv. However, as Canon Williams wrote, the site of Ai has no other name until this day. It is simply Et Tel, the heap par excellence. It is further defined as a desolation to this day. The idea is that this city, Whatever it was actually named was given its name because of its state after the battle, and it remained in a state of desolation from that time on. In Nehemiah, a city is called Ayah that he notes there, and some people believe it is to be the same location. However, no article precedes it, and the spelling, though having the same meaning, is different. With that noted, it says, verse 29, and the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until evening. The words are specific. ve-et melech tala al ad et And king the Ai hanged upon the tree until the evening. It does not say a tree, but the tree. Also, it does not say how he died. It could have been from hanging. It could have been from the sword and then being hanged and so on. The point of the words is to highlight his hanging on a specific tree. Verse 29 continues, And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they should take his corpse down from the tree. It reads, And according to going the sun commanded Joshua, and they take down his corpse from the tree. This is specifically required according to the law, Deuteronomy 21. If a man has committed a sin deserving of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree. His body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day, so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, for he who is hanged is accursed of God. When that was evaluated, the explanation was that the person died in sin, a moral issue. It isn't the physical body that is being referred to, even though defilement does come to one who touches a dead body. And this is not a ceremonial defilement that is being referred to. It is a moral issue being addressed and more. This does not mean that the person who is hanged is accursed in the sense of not being saved. That would mean that any saved person who was hanged on a tree could not be saved. That is not the issue. What this means is that the person becomes a curse when hanged on a tree. Why? Because sin is in all people. Anyone who is publicly displayed on a tree is dead. Death is the final penalty for sin. It is not the physical body, but the sin that is being focused on. Sin hangs on the tree, and that sin is accursed of God. Anybody seeing Jesus there? Therefore, the hanging is a sign of being accursed. In leaving the body up overnight, the corpse would defile the land. Hence, Joshua complied with the precept of the law. And verse 29 continues: Cast it at the entrance of the gate of the city, va yashliku ota el petach shaar ha'ir, and cast it to door gate the city. The spot where the gate of the city opened was to be blocked by the corpse of the king. The gate is the place of judgment. Access is denied or granted at that point. Placing the body there means that the way is blocked. Verse 29 continues, and raise over it a great heap of stones that remains to this day. It is masculine vayakimu alav gal abanim gadol ad hayom haze and raised over him heap stones great until the day the this also the word translated as corpse is feminine hence it is speaking of the person and not the corpse also the word translated as heap is a different one than used earlier that was tel a heap of ruin this is gal something ruled Hence, it is stones they cast on top of him, forming a round mound over him. Who can defeat us with Christ as our head? We have nothing to fear as we continue on. Our sins are forgiven, placed on him instead. He who knew no sin has taken them. They are long gone. Because of this, we have a new hope in us. The enemy cannot stand against us any longer. We have won the victory because of Jesus. Against him, no foe can stand he is stronger thank god for his wonderful workings for us praises to him for all that he has done he has restored us to himself through jesus his only begotten son our second thought today is pictures of christ the same concept is seen again in this chapter as has been seen throughout joshua so far it is all pointing to what god in christ has done it is the same process for jews and for Gentiles. But the Joshua sermons have shown that these things will finally be realized in Israel, the nation, someday as well. As for this section of the typology, it is the final account recorded before the building of the altar and writing the law upon it on Mount Gerizim and then reading it to the people. The law is clearly the focus of what is being dealt with in this passage about I. before that happens. In other words, and to understand what is going on in these Joshua sermons, we have been seeing the process of salvation in individual passages, but they all happen at once. Moses, the law, dies. Israel accepts Christ's fulfillment of the law. Israel enters the Jordan, meaning Christ. Israel's baptized into Christ's death. That is chapter 3. Israel, signified by the stones carried to Gilgal, and which are then rested there, enters its rest. Chapter 4. Two sets of stones are set up, signifying the heavenly government of Jews and Gentiles. That's chapter 4. Israel is circumcised. Israel has put off the body of sins of the flesh. The reproach of the past is taken away when believers are circumcised by the Lord. Chapter 5. Believers partake of Christ as their Passover. Chapter 5. The Lord is the leader of the people, and they are brought into holy ground. Chapter 5. Access to that holy ground is brought about by acceptance of Christ's work. Chapter 6. Christ coming out of the state of anathema, harem is realized through the love of Jesus. That's 1 Corinthians 16, verse 22, and pursuing the true gospel of Jesus Christ, Galatians 1, 8, and 9, and that is chapter 7. And now, Christ prevailing over the law is highlighted in this passage. Chapter 8. In chapter 1, Joshua was given the charge, only be strong and very courageous that you, singular, may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you, singular. Think of Jesus there. He's given the law. This is your charge. Go at it. It is Joshua who is encouraged in verse 1 of this chapter with the words, do not be afraid nor be dismayed. He, typical of Jesus, is given the charge. In this case, it is to take Ha I, the ruins. The Lord promises Joshua that it shall be given into his hand. The name of the city is certainly given based on what took place in the account. Whatever its name was, it is now the ruins. Like I, the law of Moses is the obstacle barring entry into a restored relationship with God. As I is said to be east of Bethel, the house of God. And east is the place of exile. Think of being kicked out of Eden. They went east, right? It is a picture of being exiled from the house of God, meaning from his presence. In verse 2, it noted that the city is a single entity, and it is also a feminine word in Hebrew. Hence, it noted to I and her king and to Jericho and its king. The symbolism will be explained in a bit. The city was to be ambushed or have a lying in wait behind it. This consisted of a force of 30,000. As noted, the number 30,000 is a multiple of 30. 30 in the Bible denotes, in a higher degree, the perfection of divine order as marking the right moment. There is a divinely appointed right moment when the city, the ruins, will be overrun. This comes from God and is well explained by Paul in Galatians 4. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. On the other side would be another force that would seemingly flee from the city during the attack. In this, they would tear away that word nathak, the warriors, leaving the city defenseless. It is at that time that the right moment comes. As for verse 9, if you remember, it's a hard verse to pin down. Either this force of 30,000 was said to be between Bethel and Ai, the house of God, and the ruins, or it is Joshua who spent the night in that location. I would go with the latter. I could be wrong. Either way, as Ai is east of Bethel, being between the two means east of Bethel and west of Ai. In verse 11, the main army of Israel camped on the north side of Ai with a valley between them. The north, Tzaphon, is the dark side coming from a word signifying hidden. In the northern hemisphere, the north receives the light later and less than the south. The word used to describe the valley, Gai, comes from Geva, signifying pride or exaltation. This group is not noted as being a part of the battle. Rather, Joshua and his two fighting forces, all picturing Jesus, engage the battle. Israel is as a spectator who will be exalted if Joshua Jesus prevails. In verse 12, Joshua went with the group of 5,000 and set them between Bethel and Ai, west of Ai. 5,000 is a multiple of 50, and thus it signifies jubilee or deliverance. It points to deliverance and rest following on as the result of the perfect consummation of time. The battle is one that will occur according to the divine order of the right moment the number 30,000. And it will be one that brings about the deliverance for the people, the number 5,000. The law is the obstacle, meaning that in Christ's fulfillment of the law, the people will receive their deliverance. From there, it curiously mentioned that Joshua spent the night in the midst of the valley using a different word, emek or depth. That comes from amok. It is a word that gives the sense of great depth and also to seek deeply. The BDB lexicon includes the note to implore earnestly from the bottom of one's soul. I would suggest that this anticipates Christ's final night before the cross, where it says, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done." Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. In verse 14, it noted the king of Ai coming out against Israel to an appointed place, lifne ha or before the plain. The word Arava is from the verb arav, which means to grow dark or become evening. It is identical with the verb arav signifying to give in pledge. Therefore, typologically, this would read at an appointed place before the pledge. In type, the battle must be engaged at a particular time and place in order for the pledge of the Spirit to be given. Go read Ephesians 1:13 and 14. It was at that time that Joshua and all Israel made as if they were beaten, fleeing away by the way of the wilderness with the army of Ai pursuing Joshua. The focus of the narrative was on him. They were, just as planned, torn away from the city, leaving it totally exposed. Jesus appeared defeated, even as he was going to his cross. But the apparent defeat became the greatest of victories. It was then that the Lord told Joshua to stretch out the kidon, the javelin in his hand. That comes from a word signifying destruction or calamity. Joshua did. And he remained with an outstretched arm until the battle was complete. With the javelin stretched out, the liars in wait, the 30,000 entered the city and took it. The divinely perfect right moment had come. The city was set on fire. The soldiers of Vi saw what had taken place and they lost all power to continue. The strength of the law had been taken away. Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is at this time that the 5,000 turned. The time of jubilee and deliverance had come. With that, last week's sermon ended and today's began. With the city burning and the smoke rising, the 5,000 met up with the 30,000, catching the men of I in the middle. At that time, the words went to the singular and struck them until none he left to him survivor and escapee. There was the enemy and there was Israel under Joshua. Each is an entity and he, Israel, left to him, I, no survivor and escapee. The victory over the people of I was total. Despite this, the king of I was taken alive and brought to Joshua Apart from him, it noted that every single one of the enemy fell by the mouth of the Harev, or sword. I has been a picture of the enemy, the one that stands against Israel, meaning the law. It is the law that stands against grace. One cannot enter heaven by works of the law, and the entire law must be fulfilled. As Jesus said to Israel For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle, will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. As long as heaven and earth stands, the law stands. Every single precept of the law is as an enemy that must be battled with. And man will always fail in the challenge. Always. But Christ Jesus, who is God, could fulfill it. And he did. Only through his fulfillment of the law can man then receive his grace. Jesus was able to overcome the law given at Horeb. Notice the spelling if you have it in front of you. Pictured by eliminating every foe with the sword, the Cherev. Notice the spelling. It's the same word. The law is dry and harsh, but grace is as a water of life. In overcoming the law, that which is dried up, the grace can be offered. Once the soldiers were eliminated, the city itself was destroyed to the last person, totaling 12,000. As noted, the number is derived from 120 and 100, a divinely appointed period of probation, and that nothing is wanting, that the number and order are perfect, that the whole cycle is complete. The time of the law is a period of probation. In its fulfillment, nothing is wanting, and the whole cycle is complete. That it is completed was seen in verse 26, where the entire campaign against I is credited to Joshua. And Joshua no did draw back his hand, which he stretched in the javelin until which he had anathematized all inhabitants the I. Think of Jesus in that and remember the meaning of the word translated as javelin. It comes from a root signifying destruction. I'm going to paraphrase what you just heard. And Jesus no did draw back his hand which he stretched in the destruction, until which he had anathematized all of the law. The entire law was devoted to God through the work of Christ. As for the city itself, it was seen that it is noted as a female entity, her. The city of I is being equated to the law. Paul explains the symbolism in Galatians. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic. For these are two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, the city, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. In the taking and destruction of I, that which destroyed Israel in chapter 7, when Joshua was not present with the army, is taken and destroyed. In Christ's work, the law is ended. With that understood, it then said, only the livestock and the spoil. The shalal of that city, Israel took as booty for themselves. Christ did the work, but his people share in the spoils. That is precisely reflected in Isaiah 53, where the exact same word is used. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil, the shalal with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. With that understood, it next said that Joshua burned I and set her as a heap forever, a desolation to this day. Again, the credit is given to Joshua as a type of Christ. The law is so set according to Hebrews. It is annulled, Hebrews 7:18. It is obsolete, Hebrews 8:13, and set aside. Hebrews 10 verse 9. In Christ and because of him, the law is a desolation to this day. (coughs) With that noted, it then went to the hanging of the king of Ai. Like Joshua, who is a type of Christ, and like the armies under him, also typical of Christ, so this king becomes a type of Christ. Christ is the king of the law, he and no other, and he was talah. Hung on a tree, becoming a curse for us. Paul explains that in Galatians as well. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. The law, Horeb, I, is defeated, but the curse of the law stands without this part of Christ's work. The king of I, picturing the work of Christ, becomes a curse. Sin is a moral, not a physical or ceremonial issue. Sin infects all people. Christ became a curse under the law. He paid the final penalty for sin, our sin, in his fulfillment and ending of the law, hung on the tree, becoming that curse for us. In his death, he was taken down from there and he was interred. The corpse of the king of Ai was taken down and it was cast to the door of the gate of the city. Christ is the door. Those under law must come through him. Christ is the judge signified by the gate, the place of judgment. Those under the law cannot pass through. Those freed from the law can no longer be judged by the law. That was seen in our text verse today where 2 Corinthians 5.19 says that in Christ, God is not imputing our sins to us. The law is how sin is reckoned. When one is in Christ, sin is no longer imputed. The death, the dead body of Jesus goes in two directions. It keeps those under law from entering through the door. It keeps those no longer under law from being returned to the law. This is seen in Colossians 2, 13 through 15. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us which was contrary to us and he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross having disarmed principalities and powers he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it the heaping up of stones over the corpse at the door of the gate of I pictures this the corpse which is a noun feminine of the dead King pictures the law, which is a noun feminine. One must come through the risen Christ, Jesus, in order to find salvation. It does no good to call on a dead person. Without the resurrection, there is no hope. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That is the first half of the equation. Christ died in fulfillment of the law, and he died bearing our sin. But he came out of that grave as well. If nothing else shows us the concept of potential atonement and actual atonement, this picture of the king of I buried at the door of the gate of the city certainly does. Christ died for all, potentially, but he only died for some, actually. The sin of all men was placed upon Jesus, but there is no passing his dead body and coming to the Father if he stayed in the grave. Rather, it is faith in the death, the burial, and the resurrection that brings believers all the way through. Finally, this all occurred in I, east of Bethel. Access to the house of God is from the east. The meaning is obvious access to the house of God is only possible through the law, but that can only be accomplished through its fulfillment. As only Jesus Christ can fulfill the law, no man can enter the house of God apart from Jesus Christ. Does everybody see this? Okay. This is the final part of the pictures from Joshua that began in chapter 1. Each chapter has been a part of the series that is intended to reveal to us what God did for the people of the world, including the nation of Israel as a whole. The final verses of this chapter, which we will look at next week, confirm that this is the end of the series of pictures. For now, think on everything that has been given since chapter one. It has been an amazing journey of typology and wonder, all pointing to the marvelous work of God in Christ. The point of it all is that God has brought glory to himself, to himself, through the coming of Christ. He has revealed his love for the people of the world. He has demonstrated his faithfulness to his covenants, and we are shown that his word is both trustworthy and it is demanding. When I say demanding, I mean he expects us to respond to it. The choice is ours. We can ignore it. We can misuse it, or we can rightly apply it. But there is no getting around what the Word of God says. Let us learn the lesson of the law and place our trust and our hope in Christ's fulfillment of it. Anything else will lead to an unhappy end. Let us trust in Christ, rest in Christ, and be confident in what God has done in and through Jesus Christ our Lord. What a wonderful story this has been in Joshua. I mean, we got lots more to go in the book of Joshua, but these first seven plus this eighth chapter are simply wonderful in showing us how God was going to send Jesus to reconcile the world to himself. Each is a step in the process. It all happens at once. The moment you believe, you've accepted everything that these eight chapters have told us. And yet it's divide it up so that we can see this process in typology, so that we don't make any mistakes in our theology when we get to particular doctrines. Should I go back to the law? No. Hyperdispensationalism. Are there two gospels? No. We can go all the way through those sermons and review in detail again, or we can just trust that what we have seen is true and go with it, okay? If you don't know, go back and do it again, though. I mean, go back and I don't want anybody here to be deficient in what they're thinking at any point in time. But Jesus has done everything necessary to secure our place in heaven. Everything. And the typology here, you talk about eternal salvation, goes both ways, folks. Goes both ways. That body of Jesus Christ keeps people from going back to the law and at the same time keeps people under the law from coming to salvation unless they believe in the resurrection. The dead body is a barrier. The resurrection is what allows us freedom. Keep that in mind. Wonderful stuff from the word of God. And here we go. Now that you know these types and these pictures from today, and this, like I said, there may be a small typology here or one there that I got wrong. I apologize if I did. I'm the one that's going to have to be held accountable for that. But the overall picture is quite obvious what God has done. I mean, it's it's painfully obvious, Okay. It means that God told us thousands of years before the coming of Jesus Christ that he was going to do these things. Now, he didn't know that, but Jesus said that it was true. When he said in John 5, you know, you read Moses and you think that that's your way to heaven. Well, he was writing about me. He says it all points to me. He says it a couple of times in a couple different ways in John chapter 5. You want to know what that book is about? Go back and read it again and think of me and you'll find the answer. That's what he's trying to tell the people of Israel. Okay. afterward, we can look at these and we can say, yes, that fits what the New Testament says about Jesus. We're without excuse. We're absolutely without excuse. So call on Jesus today. Call on him and say, Lord, I want what Jesus has done. I understand that I'm a sinner. I mean, that's one of those things that's so obvious. You know, people will deny I've never sinned. All you have to do is you ever told a lie? No. Well, then you're a liar. Okay? it's that obvious. We've all told a lie. As I like to ask people when I'm witnessing to them, do you have children? Yes. Did you have to teach them to do wrong? No. Of course not. It's in us. It's an infection. What we need to do is teach our children to do right. That's what we need to do, okay? Sometimes it takes a, I won't say it. Anyway, I've got my son here. I was going to make a joke, but I don't want to embarrass him. Anyway, you get the picture. Jesus Christ is the cure for this problem. Believe that he died for your sins. Believe that he was buried Believe that he rose again. That's what we need to do. Please do that today. And then, you know what you need to do? Go out and tell somebody else about Jesus. Here we just read about these people from Pakistan. A second showing of the movie, eight more people have come to Christ. Praise God. Is that not worth a couple hundred bucks? These people are putting their lives on the line to simply tell people about Jesus. And four months ago, they were scared to even talk about him. Imagine that. What a change in their lives. Let's just go out and throw caution to the wind. Here we go, folks. Our closing verse comes from Colossians chapter 2. And you, here we are, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it To the cross having disarmed principalities and powers he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it this is what jesus christ has done for the people of the world he's wiped out the handwriting of the law it's gone if you are willing to keep it there i feel so bad for people that keep getting caught in law observing churches Oh, you know what? We might lose a couple people from this church. Um, I noticed I went down to visit um, uh, Don and Jody in their new house yesterday. And man, they've got a church right across the road from them. Big Pentecostal church. I can see them just rolling in the aisles. And you guys, we'll see if you stick it out here or if you end up at that church. I mean, it's right there. They're going to hear howling some nights. And they're going to wonder, what is that? There you go. We're going to learn new languages. Yeah. Yeah, new yeah snakes languages they've got it all folks. Hey, listen, I went to a snake uh, a snake charming church in uh, what was it North Carolina when I went went around all the states. A lady told me you got to go to that church. She said they have the best music you will ever hear in your life, and they did. Almost everybody in the congregation played. It was unbelievable. It was great music. They did not bring out the snakes to the time I was there. Okay, but the music was outstanding. Okay. Next week, Joshua 8, 30 through 35. It is what God had from the law demanded. All that Moses commanded. That'll be our 17th Joshua sermon. Now think about that. Think about what he said at the beginning. Where was I? I Just go back to the beginning of Joshua. Here's what you have to do, Joshua. Everything is set before you. And then think of Jesus. Just put him into that and you can see the typology. Here, Jesus, here's everything that's set before you. This is what you must accomplish. I'm sending you on this mission to save the world. And he did it. Joshua defeated the enemy. Typical of Jesus, who has done it for you and me. Unbelievable. All right. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and he has a purpose for you. It is he who defeated the enemy and who now offers his people rest. So follow him and trust him. And he will do marvelous things for you and through you, okay? Now, before I give you this poem, I want you to raise your hand if you know this, because somebody is going to know this one. I thought last week you'd get it, and you didn't. I made this one easier than last week. I did. Somebody, I want you to raise your hand, though. You've got to raise your hand, because there's going to be at least two people that get this. Jeremiah prophesied 70 years of exile for Israel. Who then specifically cites that as being a fulfilled prophecy as given by Jeremiah? He specifically cites it. Daniel. Hey, here you go. Now, I want you to know the people that gave this to the church are sitting in the church today. So you can thank them. Don't thank me. Okay. Now, watch your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. Oops. Hey, it was close. When I was in the Air Force... They had all of us gathered together and they had what's, and a lot of you guys that were in the service know this, mail call. Best day ever, right? That's all you could wait for when you're sitting there in basic training getting yelled at for 15 hours a day. And they had mail call. And the first day, they did what I just did. They said, now listen, Air Force regulations prohibit us from throwing the mail to you because you might put out an I. So you need to come up here and get your mail. Johnson. Johnson stands up and the guy whips it at him. That's it, we all got our mail thrown at us. They just wanted to let us know, you better close your eyes. So she did a good job. My wife lost hers though, so. Okay. Good job. Daniel wrote, exactly. 70 years have been determined. Lord, it's time to send your people home. And he prayed just the way that the book of Leviticus said they would. And God heard them and sent the exiles home. Praise God for his faithfulness to his unfaithful Cyrus people. Was the king. Un, what's that? Cyrus was, the king. Cyrus was the king. Okay, here we go. The Fall of Ai, part two. Now when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city when that caught their eye and the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. Then the others came out of the city against them. So they were caught in the middle of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. And they struck them down without Haw or hem, So Israel let none of them remain or escape. All of Ai died. But the king of Ai they took alive. O ya! Yeah and brought him to Joshua. And it came to pass, when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field where death had bloomed, in the wilderness where they pursued them, and the people of Ai fell by the edge of the sword until they were consumed, that all the Israelites returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword, every last girl and guy. So it was that all who fell that day, both men and women, girl and guy, were 12,000 all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back his hand with which the spear he stretched out until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. It was a total rout. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as booty for themselves. Hoorah! According to the word of the Lord, which he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever. It is that way a desolation. To this day and the king of Ai he hanged on a tree until evening and as soon as the sun was down joshua commanded so he did say that they should take his corpse down from the tree cast it at the entrance of the gate of the city and raise over it a great heap of stones that remains to this day lord god turn our hearts to be obedient to your word give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. What beautiful pictures and the word. I, uh, Charlie knows this I'm one of the biggest biggest skeptics whenever there's a picture I always got to make sure double check and uh, I always look at this could this really be such beautiful pictures in the Old Testament could it really be all talking about Jesus and uh, I always somehow end up in uh, John 1 1 where it says the word in the beginning was the word and the Word was with God and the word was God and then the word became flesh so and dwelt among us so if Jesus is the word how can The Old Testament not picture him, which is the very word of God, Um, and it's just so beautiful.